Dear Pastor Shad, dear brothers and sisters, dear friend, it's a great honor and a pleasure for me to be with you this morning and to be the speaker for this Religious Liberty Sabbath. Last week, I was in Kingston for the first festival of religious freedom in Jamaica. 12,000 people attended, and among them, the Governor General, the Acting Prime Minister, the Leader of the Opposition, and several ministers of the government and religious leaders. It was one of the most publicized events in Jamaica. It was a way also to say thank you, God, publicly, and thank you, Jamaica, for religious freedom. And all agree, time to time we have to do that. The day before, we met all the authorities of the country, and uh, we talk, and we promote, we defend religious freedom for all. But today, today I am here in my church. Medina and I have been members of this church for 19 years. But in few months, we will go back to Geneva, near Geneva. And I would like you to be sure that we will keep a lot of memories about this church. We will remember the beautiful sanctuary. We will remember the concert, the choir, the Sabbath school. And we will remember the academy and all what make this church unique. If I could move this church to Geneva, I will do it. We were invited to join Spencerville Church by Bird Beach and Elian. Bird is an icon in the world of religious freedom. And during years, years after years, he has totally changed the vision or the view of religious leaders used to see our church. Bert has been a great ambassador of our church around the world. Now, dear brothers and sisters, do you know that million people would give everything they have to be with us this morning? Not necessarily to listen to me, but to be here with us without trembling about a possible raid by the police, without being accused of blasphemy and risking to spend their life in prison, without asking themselves if a bomb is going to blow up and kill several of them, without the risk of being attacked and butchered by a group of religious fanatics, without being forced to choose between changing their religion or being crucified or beheaded. What a privilege you and I have to live in a country where religious freedom is a founding value, in a country where the law protects us, even if we are a minority. But we should never forget that in America here, Every week, Seventh-day Adventists lose their job because they want to be faithful to God's commandments. 
It's a tragedy for them and for their family. And it happened here too. We should not forget that around the world. 75% of the world population lives in countries where there is no religious freedom. About 200 million Christians are discriminated or persecuted in 151 countries. When four people are persecuted for religious reason, three are Christians. Every five minutes a Christian die, according to the historian Martin Kluger. November 4, 2014, Ines St. Martin titled her article, Rise of Anti-Christian Persecution is Catastrophic. And the same day, Prince Charles spoke out about the horrendous and heartbreaking persecution of religious minorities around the world. You may think that, yes, but it was last year. Probably 2015 will be better. But you know, we saw what happened in Paris, and we can understand that it is just the beginning. We are going to live in a world where sharing religious conviction could become very dangerous. We should not forget that when religious freedom is attacked or denied, other freedoms are in danger. The freedom of association, the freedom of expression, and the freedom of the press. And in our democratic countries, we see, and it's new, we see new tension between religious freedom and individual human rights. And it will be one of the challenges that our institution will have to face. But it is sure that if we are not vigilant, if we don't lift up, as Ellen White said, the banner of the truth and religious liberty, we will lose the freedom we have today. You know, I know that some members sometimes don't understand our ministry. And we have to explain. They think that public evangelism is enough and we should do just that, not do anything else. I agree, public evangelism is one of our priorities. But public evangelism is highly dependent on the freedom we have to preach. There is no public evangelism if you don't have freedom to preach. Why do we have so many ministries dedicated to evangelism in America, Europe, South America? This is not the case in North Korea, Iran, Pakistan. What makes the difference? Just two words, religious freedom. If you believe in public evangelism, you must defend the freedom to evangelize. Some others said that according to prophecy, we should be persecuted anyway. Why are we fighting against it? We should welcome persecution. Welcome persecution. Do you agree with that? Those who are in prison, don't agree with that. You may believe you need to be persecuted to become a better Christian. That's okay. That's your right. 
but don't create problems for your brothers and sisters in places where they have the freedom to preach the good news. Contact me. Just come, and I will give you some few, some good addresses where you will have 100% chance to be persecuted. Go. You don't need to buy your return ticket. You may stay longer than you expect. And you will be persecuted. And you will see that maybe you will become a better Christian. And at this time, you will call the Religious Freedom Department. Help us, help us. We are persecuted. It is true that some people have questioned also about everything the church is doing to help people to have a better and longer life. They think that at the end all will die. Let them die as soon as possible. Then the resurrection will come and they will go to heaven. Other people think about poverty. They were, are you doing what we are doing to help the poor? You know, Jesus said you will have always, always the poor with you. Welcome to the poor. Please don't change anything in society. Don't try to have more justice, more generosity. Why? Because Jesus said you will have always the poor with you. Make sure they are here. Everyone can understand that it makes no sense to talk like that. Some see religious freedom as an open door to ecumenism. And I spent years and years and years visiting some part of the world to explain that religious freedom is not ecumenism. The ultimate goal, ultimate goal of ecumenism is to have one visible church or one religion. But the religious liberty purpose is to protect and defend the right to be different. The right and the freedom to have different churches and different religion. The right to make mistakes too. Now why, as a church, we are defending and promoting religious liberty? We have always to come back because that's essential. You know, religious liberty is a gift from God, first. He created us with the freedom to choose. But it is also a sign of the kingdom of God. It is an essential human right. Article 18 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. The best definition of religious freedom. It is the foundation of the system of values of the American Republic. Thomas Jefferson wrote, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. But as a Christian, we shall miss the most important point if we don't go to Jesus. Jesus is our model. And the question is, did Jesus practice religious freedom? The answer is yes, of course, even if the word has never been used. But why did he do that? Let me give you an example. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 67, I read. 6, 67. 
From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? In chapter 6, Jesus is speaking clearly about his mission. Many of his disciples are disappointed. They don't understand his message, the bread of life. I have come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. What is talking about? People who were following him wanted to have a better life. They wanted to, be, to, to get rid of the Romans who oppressed them. They wanted to be free to eat every time they were hungry and to save some money for their children like us. The eternal life was not really their problem. They had the temple and the priest for that. But they needed a political and social change. They needed a new king, David. They were disappointed. And a large number of his disciples left. When Jesus spoke about the bread of life, he gave the purpose of his mission and he showed the methods he would use to accomplish it. He would not be a new Alexander the Great a new Caesar. He would not follow their way. He is different. He comes from heaven. He is the Son of God and He gives His life for our salvation. But for many observers and many disciples, at this very moment, Jesus had just spoiled all His chances to become the King of Israel. They think He is a dreamer, for sure, maybe a prophet, but not a leader. He was leading them in the wrong direction and they decided to leave him and they left. That's very interesting. Which is very interesting is to see how Jesus will react. You know, and we can make some comparison with Caesar and Alexander the Great. We know that what Caesar and Alexander the Great did in such circumstances, what did they do? They killed those who did not want any longer to follow him. They killed them. What will be the answer of Jesus? How does Jesus react? He looks at the twelve and he said, Do you also want to go away? It's beautiful. Jesus took the risk of losing a small group of followers. Why? Because he believed that every human being has the right to choose all his life. He respected their choice. He knew that if he forced them to follow him, he would have betrayed his mission. Of course, he could have impressed them, he could have performed great miracles, he could have manipulated them, he could have called the celestial army, he could have opened a window of heaven to convince them to stay with him. But he did not want to impose his will, his will on their free will. He set up 
the universal principle in everything, everything, including in religious freedom, in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. That is religious freedom. Jesus practiced religious freedom in every step of his ministry. It was part of his living message, don't impose, don't impose what you believe on others, even if what you believe is the truth. You have no right to impose it on others. Religious freedom is the core of our God's character of love. It is the core of the gospel. You may ask, is it really? When you look at the history of Christianity, that's a good question. Why Christianity, a religion of peace, became a religion who persecuted million people during thousand years. What has, what have become, what happened? The answer is Christians were persecuted during the third, the three first centuries. Then, like a miracle from God, the new emperor was Christian. He became Christian. He defended them, protected them. And he established for a wide religious freedom. But few decades later, in 380, by the edict of Thessalonica, the emperor Theodosius, Theodosius the Great made Christianity the religion of the empire. Caesar became the king of Christians. Heretics and pagans were persecuted. The concept of Christendom took the place, the place of the kingdom of God. It has changed everything in the history of Christianity. In this alliance between the church and the empire, the religion of Christ lost its soul. For Jesus, things were very clear. Were very clear. My kingdom is not from this world. When Jesus stood before Pilate, he refused to use his power. He had the power. He refused to use it. He said, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. But now my kingdom is not from here. He could have said, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight to impose my religion to all. But there is a but. But now my kingdom is not from here. Which means no one is forced to believe in me. No one is forced to walk to the kingdom of God. In the tragedy of the cross, every, actors, every actor made his choice and took their responsibility. Jesus respected their freedom. And brothers and sisters, we are first disciple of Jesus. And we believe in religious freedom because we are disciple of Jesus. We are citizen of his glorious kingdom. It's a free citizenship. And everyone is invited, but no one, no one is forced to come and to worship God. God loves us. And he wants 
to build a relation of love with us. And there is no love without the freedom to love or not to love. Now the question people ask, and you may ask, okay, that's good, that's nice, we understand. But what are we doing now, today, to promote and defend religious freedom for all? My answer would be that if we compare with many others, we are doing a lot of things. We have been, in our history, the champions of religious freedom. The, the former moderator of the European Conferences of Churches said in a book published in France, I admire the Adventists for their work in favor of religious freedom. And just a few months ago, I was in a meeting with 25 top religious leaders, Christian religious leaders, and one of them, who represents 600 million Christians, said the Seventh-day Adventist Church does a marvelous work, marvelous work for religious freedom. There are many ways to see that the world is aware, aware of our work for religious freedom. We receive national and international awards, government medals, doctorates, honoris causa from secular universities. We are doing our best, but still, still, it's not enough. We have to defend, to promote, and to protect religious freedom. What can we do? We have to preach the truth everywhere. As long as we are free to do that, we have to do that. Preaching the gospel is the priority. We have to defend and promote vigorously religious freedom for all people everywhere. It is the best way, the best way to, to oppose, to answer religious fanaticism. We have to pray and to support our persecuted brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes people who are free don't even think about those who are persecuted. And this is why it's so difficult to reach people who have full freedom because they say, we have freedom, we don't care. You don't care about those who are persecuted? I am sure you care. You know, Edmund Burke wrote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And Ellen White wrote, we are not doing the will of God if we stay sitting doing nothing to defend religious, to defend freedom of conscience. You know, and I would like to conclude in sharing one of my experience in my ministry. That was in 2006. In 2006, I had just been re-elected. That was the first time at the same position. And after 10 years, you asked the question, you know, 10 years, what can I do? I needed a new inspiration and I pray God to give it to me. And I read in the Bible a promise of God. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 13. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will be always at the top, never at the bottom. I thought that how I can apply this promise to my ministry and we should apply this promise to everything we are doing as a church. Our schools, our universities, everything we are doing, it's a promise from God. How could we be the head in our world congresses? 
in our religious liberty dinner in Washington, in our annual meeting of experts, and in all these activities, I have to say today that God has blessed us according to his promise. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. It was in 2006, and inspired by this promise, I thought that we should also celebrate religious freedom. We protect it, we defend it, we promote it, but what about celebrating? And when you travel around the world and you see how is it difficult for some Christian brothers and sisters just to survive under persecution, and we come back in our country and we see we have full freedom. Why do we have full freedom? It's not because of us. But it did not happen like that. One day, people give their life for us. The freedom we have today costs a lot to other people. We should, time to time, say thank you to these people. Thank you to the country which protects religious freedom. And thank you to God. And I thought that in this context of global persecution, time has come where everywhere we have religious freedom, time has come to say thank you God publicly and thank you to the country. And of course, if you, have just, if you are just 25 to say thank you, the message is not strong. And we started with the idea to have mass festival. We start in 2006 in Sao Paulo. I did not know how to do that. I share this concept with William Costa. And I said, William, this is just a dream, a vision. You know, if we could in 2009 have 10,000 people in a stadium, 10,000 people, you can imagine, not 25, not 100, not 500, 10,000, 10,000 people saying, we love religious freedom, we want to keep it. Thank you, God, and thank you, my country. That would be fabulous. And he said, 2009? We were in 2006. And he said, why 2009? And he said, because nobody is interested about religious freedom. He said, we can do that in six months. I said, okay, we visited the stadium. I saw the stadium, 12,000 seats, 10,000 seats. And I thought that if we have 4,000 people, it would be a huge success. Six months later, the stadium was filled, totally full. 12,000 people were there, and outside, 20,000 people attended. Since this time, we organize, celebrate religious freedom, the union, the churches celebrate religious freedom in 50 cities. We fill stadium with 40,000 people, and uh, on the sixth continent, and about 300,000 people attended. No other organization or church has done that. And I remember here in 2009, we had, we held the first liberty, religious liberty concert. And I am sure that it will come a tradition. The first religious liberty concert. You can imagine it will attract people. The first liberty, religious liberty concert around in the area of Washington. It will attract the interest of the government. There is something which is happening in this church. And it will communicate a strong message, the message that we love religious freedom. 
We don't want to lose it. We love religious freedom because it's a sign of the kingdom of God. It's a sign of the character of God. Because religious freedom for us, it's not a secular values. It's a biblical values. It connects us directly to the love of God. God respects every one of us. And he gave us the freedom to choose. You are free to come to this church. You are free to leave. Nobody will push you, manipulate you, or force you. This is the sign of the great love of our God. Do you, go, do you want to go away? Ask Jesus to his disciples who were disappointed. Do you want to go away? You are free. And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Peter and the apostle freely decided to stay with Jesus. God blessed them abundantly and they changed the world. Brothers and sisters, to be free to follow Jesus, to be free to answer his call, to be free to live a great adventure of faith with him, this is why we defend religious freedom for all and everywhere. Amen.